Come on! Yes, your ears are not playing tricks on you. That is Red Rocks Church worship song breakthrough in Spanish. It just dropped on Friday. Go get it wherever you get music. Man, as soon as they started playing that, Andrew, in the back, I was like, I'm not going to make it. That song is special. Church, for the first time in over seven months, I can say it and mean it. You look good today. <laughs> Tell somebody next to you, say, you look good today. I could tell through that mask. Hey, listen, if you're in a building right now, we are so glad that we are getting to do church with you in person. But if you're not, I understand that all services at all four locations, RSVP tickets sold out in less than 60 seconds. So that means there's a whole bunch of you at home a little bit angry that there's some people in the building. And I get it. So please, Stay after it. This is like a, this is like a Jordan 1 OG B-Red shoe drop. Like you got to get ready to get these tickets. So until we hear differently from the city, every Sunday at 1 p.m., you can go on our website. I would get there a little early and get ready. And at 1 p.m. Mountain Time, you can RSVP for any of the four locations in Denver for the next weekend. So keep trying to do that. We can't wait to see you in person and we love you. And if you're not in person today, please don't you ever forget the presence of a building does not change our lives. The presence of our God is what changes our lives. And he's with you no matter where you're at right now. Guys, I'm so excited to get into today's subject matter. I know that it is something that every single one of us will not only deal with, but will have to battle with. And so before we even get going, let's just ask God to begin to speak to every single one of us. God, I thank you for your, for your son, Jesus. I thank you for your presence with us here right now in buildings, in houses, in cars, outside, in gyms, on walks. I thank you that your presence is with us right now. I thank you that you're, you're about to speak to every single one of us through the truth of your holy word. And God, we just, we put ourselves in a position to hear from you. And so we just start by saying, God, I'm ready. Would you speak to me? Would you change us? Would you encourage us? We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen, amen. Well, I promised you on Instagram a few weeks ago that today would be a welcome home themed message. And so if you have a Bible or a phone that you use as a Bible, flip it open, hit buttons to open it, whatever you do, go to Luke 15. We are going to look at the most famous welcome home story in the history of stories. Mark Twain said this is the best story that's ever been told. Today we call it the story of the prodigal son. And in fact, it's a, it's a story that defines in part who we are as a church. If this is your church family, you know our mission here is we exist to make heaven more crowded. And we're going to be that by being a place that welcomes home prodigals. That's how we're going to accomplish it. So we love this story. In part, it defines who we are. 
And, and, but even if you're just joining us today in person or online, the truth is you're going to resonate with this story because at the core of this story, every single one of us, we feel this story. We want this story to apply to us because every single one of us, we know we're the kid in the story. This story is about a, a father with two boys and, and one of them makes some mistakes and then, and then he's welcomed home in amazing fashion, and we resonate with this story so much because we know we're that kid. We, we have all made mistakes, and we all need the Father to welcome us home for the first time for salvation, but then over and over and over and over again, all throughout our lives, we just find ourselves going, I need Dad again. I need Dad again. And there's something inside of us that craves, like, I want Father God. I want him to be proud of me. I want him to welcome me. I want him to value me. I want him to accept me, even though I'm a mess. I, I want him to love me. I, I want him to like me. I want him to be proud of me, right? Like, we crave this. We crave this story. It speaks to us and, and the reason Jesus told it is because he wanted us and the people he was talking to that day to understand this is how your God feels about you. All right, so let's dig in. Verse 11, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father. Now, anytime you talk to any parent who's got multiple sons, always look out for the younger one. It's just fact. It's science. Because the younger son, if he has older brothers, he's had to fight to stay alive. He's had to fight for meals. He's had to fight for attention. He's had to fight physically just to make it. They're always more confident. Like, look out for the younger ones. My youngest son, Ashton, he came into the living room about a week ago mad as a hornet. How mad do hornets get, Andrew? I don't know, but it sounds good. Mad as a hornet, mad. And he comes in and he goes, I'm so mad at Austin. And I go, what'd he do? He goes, he flushed my toilet. <laughs> I said, well, what's wrong with that? And he goes, I was going for a world record. And he stomps off. And it took me a second, like, like what's going on in that child's bathroom where he thinks it's it's even getting close to world record status. Like, and this is obviously a parenting issue on the mother's side. Like, we know this. And so, like, what is happening here? Look out for the younger one. Put that back up. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. And so he divided his property between them. We know historically that's probably between a third and a half of everything that this Jewish patriarch rich. He's a rich, well-off Jewish patriarch. We know this because he's got an estate. Every, from a third to a half of everything he's made his entire life, he's about to give to his son. Everybody listens like blown away. So he does. And not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, and he set off for a distant country. And there he squandered his wealth in wild living. He began to party. After he spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country. And he began to be in need. And so he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. Mark Ray, quicker! But no one gave him anything. Mark Ray, I love you so much. Mark Ray is one of the original gangsters of this place. Been with us 
longer than almost anybody and could squash me like a bug if he really wanted, so I love you. But be quick with the slides or else. All right, so listen. Here's what everybody listening to that story, here's what they're, here's what they're, here's what they're asking. Why didn't he go home? It didn't have to come to that. Like, why didn't he go home? If his dad's a Jewish patriarch with an estate, why didn't he go home? And, and listen, I want, I want to look at this story from an angle that I personally have never looked at it before, because the problem with a lot of us church people in this story is, as soon as I started reading it, you already turned off because you're like, oh, I know this one. I got this. Trust me. I realized for myself, I've read this story too many times, and I read it too fast, and I miss out on some details, and Jesus is telling this story, and he doesn't waste words, so he wants us to dig into the details. I promise you. Let's go back through some of the details. Go ahead and put that first verse up. It said, after he spent everything. Now, picture, picture a 17-year-old boy. My oldest son is 17. Picture a 17-year-old boy. I know, he made some mistakes. And, and, and dad, maybe he shouldn't have entrusted him with everything he did and let him go off to a distant country, but he did. And now picture, this is every parent's worst nightmare. Picture a 17-year-old boy in another country. He's got nothing. No money. No friends. No family. Like, this gave me anxiety just starting to picture my son in this position. Like, what's he do? Maybe nothing for a day, but just, just walk around and probably feel really bad and probably play, replay all the events and like, I can't believe what I did, but nobody. He's got nowhere to go. And so, so maybe it's fine for the first day. He's just bored and, and confused, but by the second, third day, he's starting to get hungry like, it's starting to get real, and he's, where, where does he sleep? Is, is it a bench? Is it maybe under a tree? Does, is it raining? Is he under a bridge? He's 17. About three, four days in, crazy hunger pains. Probably shaking, probably already filthy. No family. He's 17. So, so what does he do? Does he, does he sit outside of McDonald's and, and, and just start begging? Like, could I please have some spare change? Would you please consider buying me something? I'm, he's 17. He's got nothing. Why didn't he go home? Put that next verse up. There was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. You might make it begging for a little bit when, when everybody walking around you has got something. But when everybody walking around you's got nothing because there's a severe famine and all the normal people that are walking around, now they have nothing and they have no food and they have no extra. Now you can't even beg because nobody around you's got anything to give you. Picture it. Like, why didn't he go home? Put that next. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. I began to get so brokenhearted as I pictured this, this, this statement right there. When you hire yourself out, those of you who know the story, you know that when he comes home, he gets a ring and a robe and some sandals, right? You know why he gets sandals? Because he'd lost his shoes. 
Because see, in this day and age, what happens is, is if I'm going to hire you and you're going to serve on my piece of property, I take your shoes from you. Because if you don't have shoes, I can trust that you're not going far. So now picture the job interview. I know it's a pig farmer, but they're still going to talk about the job before he gets it. Where are you from, kid? Because you don't look good. You don't look healthy, son. What's going on? How much of the story does he tell him? What if he tells him where he is from? And what if the guy goes, wait, 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 wait. your dad's a Jewish patriarch on an estate? Like, like he's the only kind of people that aren't starving to death right now. What are you doing here? Go home. Are you going to stay here? All right. All right. Give me your shoes. And you're going to live out in that field. And I'm going to allocate you pig food. And you're going to sleep out there. It's the lowest of the low. Give me shoes. Go ahead. Why didn't he go home? Put that next verse up. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. It's gotten so bad now that he has to beg, would you please, sir, would you please let me eat some of the pig food? I think I'm going to die. And the guy has to say, I'm sorry, kid. It's tough times. It's a famine. The pigs are my only source of income to feed my family. I give you their food. They don't make it. Sorry, kid. No one gave him anything. He's begging someone for pig food, and no one gives him anything. And he's 17. Why didn't he go home? Right? And, and, and we're, we're about to find out. I, I, believe, I believe there's one word. I, I, I believe there's one word that would keep him from going home. See if you can catch it as we read the second half of the story. When he came to his senses, he said, wait a second. People work for my dad, and when they eat three meals a day, they have leftovers. How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and I'm about to die? I got to go home now. I've tried every other thing possible. I'm going to set out and I'm going to go back to my father and I'm going to say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I've done wrong. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. See, the I have sinned, I have done wrong, that's guilt. The next line is where we see the one word that kept him from going home to the father. He says, I am wrong. I did wrong, but then he takes it a step further and he says, I am wrong. That's no longer guilt, that's shame. See, guilt says I did wrong and I can go to the Father. Shame says I am wrong, I gotta hide from the Father. That one word shame, it's the same word that almost kept some of you from coming to God for the first time, let's be honest. It's the one word that keeps you from wanting to come to God today for some of you. Some of you, have, you feel like this, I can't anymore. Like, I got to be out of chances by now. How many times have I promised him I just wouldn't do it anymore, and I just did it again? And so, like, I'm not even going to get close to a Bible today. I can't, I can't call on God for help right now. Look at the way I've been living. It's the one word that keeps so many, of us, so many of us from experiencing the presence of God in our lives and walking in that calling. And shame sucks. In fact, if you're looking for this later, that's the title of today's message. Shame sucks. 
And I'm not talking about guilt. There's a really good, healthy, God-given gift of guilt. The Bible calls it our conscience. A lot of people in church call it conviction. Guilt says, I did wrong, and when it's healthy and from God, it's like, oh, I can go to a person and apologize and make it right. Oh, I can go to my God and repent and be redeemed and restored and renewed and given a second chance and, and, and made whole and healthy again. Oh, I did wrong. I should try to make some changes in my life. This is a gift from God, that kind of guilt. Guilt says, I did wrong. I can go to the Father. Shame says, I am wrong. I got to hide from the Father. There's a difference, and shame will kill us. It'll take our joy day by day by day by day by day, and pretty soon you blink and look back, and it's been years off your life defined by shame. And listen, you and I were never, we were never created to carry shame. Did you know that? Let me show you. We're going to go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Genesis 2, you don't have to flip there. I'm going to read it for a sec. I'm going to read it here in a sec. I want you to already start realizing today, God has me tuning into this message for a reason. I'm telling you, I've been preparing this talk for a long time, and the whole time I've been preparing it, I've known God has me studying this topic for a reason. Because I have dealt with shame, here's what I realized this week, my entire life. As long as I can remember, I've dealt with shame. As long as I can remember, I've known that my real dad left me and my real mom tried to leave me. And for some reason, my whole life, I've grown up feeling ashamed of that. Like, I'm a grown man who pastors one of the largest churches in our country. And last month, I sat in my men's small group and we're going through a book together. And the book suggested that for this small group, we all bring pictures of us and our dad and talk about the times we had together. And as a grown man, I sat in a small group completely ashamed because I was the only one who didn't bring a picture. And they were kind enough not to bring it up. And I'm like, wait a second, I, I think I'm still carrying some shame. Isn't that crazy how someone can leave you and you feel ashamed? How someone can hurt you and you feel ashamed? How someone can go behind your back and somehow you feel like it's your problem? How, how, how someone who was meant to protect you in life harms you in life and you grow up your whole life feeling ashamed because it happened? I've always been ashamed. I was ashamed of how poor we were. We grew up poor. And I love sports. And I was good at sports. I'm very mediocre, probably a little less than now, but I still talk a great game. Andrew, you know. He goes, yeah, I know. I never had the right shoes. Like, if, like I played baseball all growing up. I never had the right cleats. <laughs> I was a good baseball player, but I just didn't have the right shoes. And I'll never forget my eighth grade basketball year. I was a starting point guard, and everybody got Jordans except for me because I. And so people today, some of my friends and even some that aren't, make fun of me for how much money I like to spend on shoes. And I think it's I'm just putting myself through counseling still is what I'm doing. But I grew up really poor and I was ashamed. I was ashamed. And then, and then I remember hitting junior high and I was ashamed to have kids from my team do sleepovers at my house. I always wanted to go to your house. Some of you know that game because I'm ashamed. And then I was abused as a kid and, and I was ashamed and as an adult, I tried to just stuff it down and pretend it didn't happen because every time I thought about it, it made me feel more ashamed. 
Last summer, last summer, I had to take some time off from pastoring this church because I couldn't get anxiety and depression under control. And, and a pastor who has to do that, you don't talk about feeling some shame. And it, like, I've been dealing with stuff my whole life, and I bet you some of you have too. But you were never created to carry shame. Genesis 2.25, listen to this. I've never seen this before this week. Just never noticed it. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. It's like God takes, takes us back to the, to the Garden of Eden and he says, I wanna give you a mental picture. I, 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 want, I want it to be like you were there with him. I want you to see what was going on. He said, I created man and woman in my own image and they didn't have any clothes on. And then he says, that's what you could see with your eyes, but let me talk to you about their spiritual life. Let me talk to you about their emotional state that you couldn't see with your own eyes. And he could have said anything. He could have described his first creation, Adam and Eve. He could have said that they were really faithful. They were really spiritual. They were fearless. They were filled with joy. They were obedient. They were hard workers. He could have said anything. He said, let me give you one word to describe how man and woman was created in my image before sin ever entered the world. They had no shame. We were never created to carry shame. And, and what happens? Well, you guys know the story, most of you. After sin enters the world, what do they do? They hide. Because it went from, and I did wrong to I am wrong, and so I did wrong says I can go to God, but when, it, when my mind says, no, 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 you're just wrong, I'm wrong, and so they hid from God, and we see shame pop its ugly head up for the very first time, and Satan loves it. Think about this. If shame is the one thing that God said, if, if, if I can describe who you are as a person before sin entered the world as my perfect creation, the one way I would describe you is a human being with no shame, then what's the very thing that Satan's gonna wanna attack you with more than anything else in this entire world? See, that's why it's starting to make sense to some of you right now. That's why you go, wait a second. My whole life I felt that way. Because you've had a very real enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy the destiny off your life, whispering in your ear since you were old enough to understand what he was saying, and he's been saying the same thing the whole time. You're not enough. You're wrong. You're broke. You're defected. You don't work right. You can't. Don't you dare. Don't you dare go to God for the first time. He won't want you. Look, look what you've done. Don't you dare go back to God for the 10,000th time and ask for forgiveness for the same thing. Are you kidding me? He's fed up by now. Don't you dare start praying in faith because look at the way you've been acting this year. Look at the way you've been acting just this month. Look at what you did this week and you got the nerve to ask God for a miracle. Don't kid yourself. Don't you dare. Don't you dare pursue that dream that God put in your heart. Who do you think you're kidding? It's been his trick. Since the Garden of Eden, he wants to whisper in your ear that you're not enough. And we know when it goes from guilt to shame because guilt says, I screwed up, I gotta go to God. Shame says, I am a screw up, I gotta stay away from God. And I gotta stay away from people. And we start to isolate and we hide from God. That's shame and that's what Satan wants. To him, that's the perfect picture of stealing, killing, and destroying the destiny on our lives today get you to isolate from people and hide from God because you are wrong. 
So what do we do? I wanna to speak to you, with the time I have left, I wanna to speak to your, to your mind and I wanna to speak to your heart because this issue is so huge for me. First, I wanna to speak to your mind and I wanna tell you to begin to do the very same thing that the Apostle Paul did. The Apostle Paul, thank God, and, and, and Paul, if you're listening from heaven today, thank you for being honest. He actually had the nerve and the guts to write to some of his friends in Rome, I actually feel ashamed of myself sometimes. And the fact that he was willing and brave enough to do that has been freeing people up for 2,000 years. Here's what he said to some of his friends. He said, listen, I'm gonna read three verses and tell me you don't know what this feels like. I do not understand what I do. What I wanna do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. I have the desire, like I really wanna do better. I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I wanna do, but the evil I do not wanna do, this I keep on doing. I've told God a thousand times, I just won't act like that anymore. I just won't look at that anymore. I just won't say that anymore. I just won't think that anymore. I just won't give into that habit anymore. And then I did it again. Oh, come on, church. We know what this feels like. And watch on autopilot where it goes, even for one of the greats, one of the heroes of our faith. Romans 7, 24, what a wretched man I am. He doesn't say I did a wretched thing. That would be guilt. He says, what a wretched man I am. I'm wrong. I'm broken. I'm wretched. That's shame. He says on autopilot, that's where I go too. I go to shame. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? He's like, man, this is hopeless. I'm wretched. And then he goes, oh, wait, I'll start speaking the truth to myself. I'll start preaching to myself. I'll start claiming God's word over this emotion that is lying to me, over the lying words that Satan's putting in my ears. I'll start standing on the truth of the word of God. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He goes, oh, wait a second. I feel like a wretched person. And apart from Jesus, maybe I am but I put my faith in Jesus. And his word says that his grace saved me, not my works. And so his spirit lives in me. I'm made perfectly righteous in God's sight. I have nothing left to be ashamed of. When God looks at me, because I have Jesus in my life, he sees perfection. There's nothing left for me to be ashamed about. And because that's the truth, because I just preached myself out of being ashamed today, let me finish by reminding myself the very next chapter, the first verse, Paul says this. So guys, I'm telling you and I'm telling me, therefore, because we put our faith in Jesus and he forgave our sins, which he has the right to do because he died on the cross to do it, therefore, there is now no condemnation, no shame for all of us who are in Christ Jesus. That's worth getting excited about, church. Can we make some noise and celebrate that? We gotta do what Paul did. We gotta start reminding ourselves of the truth. Would you put that slide up? I wanna ask you guys, whether you're in a building or watching online, take a snapshot of this screen real quick. I wanna give you some artillery to fight the shame game this week. For time's sake, I'm not gonna read them all, so take a picture. If you're listening online, it's John 3.16, Romans 10.13, 1 
1 John 1, 9, Ephesians 2, 8, and Romans 8, 1. And you put these next to each other and you claim them over yourself nonstop. And if you're dealing with shame, then you better claim them in the morning, claim them in the afternoon, claim them in the evening. Remind yourself of the truth of the word of God. I am loved. He loves me just the way I am right here, right now. I don't have to ever be separated from him. He died for my sins. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I fall into that category. I called on his name. I am saved. I've confessed my sins, and he's made me perfectly un... Uh, he took away all my unrighteous, made me perfectly righteous. That means in perfect right standing before God. It's by grace, not about anything I've ever done. So guess what, Satan? There's no condemnation or shame in my life. You can leave now in Jesus' name. Got to talk to ourselves up here. That's where the battle starts. We fight it up here. But I'm telling you, church, for me at least, it wasn't enough. Because I can quote most of the verses and I still deal with it from time to time. And this summer, I realized I also need to speak to my heart sometimes. I was in counseling out of state for anxiety. And this pastor one time, after about several weeks of meeting multiple times, he goes, can we just call a spade a spade? He goes, you got a problem with shame. Because you preach a mean game on God's love being for everybody and God's forgiveness being for everybody, but you don't accept it for yourself. He goes, you got it up here. You need to get it in here. And I'm like, I know. It's like, and some of you know what this feels like. It's like this, it's like this invisible roadblock in front of me. And like, I can't, I know the verse is up here. I just can't seem to make them apply to my life and my heart. Because I know what I've done. And I know how good I'm not. And I know there's the things I don't want to do, I do. And the things I wish I did, I don't. I know it. And so there's just like this roadblock that doesn't let me get there with my heart. And he's like, man, you need to stop preaching the game and start accepting it. God loves you, bro. So he told me, just the way you are. You just got to start accepting it. You got to stop listening to the lies of Satan. He goes, all I've heard you say since you've been here is, I'm so stupid, I'm so stupid, I'm so stupid. I talk about my anxiety, it's so stupid, I'm so stupid when I, I'm so stupid because what I do is, it's so stupid, I'm so, he goes, if I had a dime, this is what he told me, he goes, if I had a dime for every time I've heard you say, I'm so stupid, he goes, I could buy Denver, so he told me. He goes, God loves you, why can't you just receive it? And I was like, I don't know. And he goes, we gotta talk to your heart. He goes, tell me about your boys. I said, oh, I can do that. He said, brag for a minute. I said, let me tell you about Ashton. I'll start with the youngest. When Ashton was born, go ahead and put that picture up. He was the only one of our children that we didn't find out if it was going to be a boy or a girl. And when we went to the hospital, Jill just knew it was a girl. And during the birth, I misunderstood the doctor. And I go, babe, it's a girl. <laughs> True story. She starts crying. She goes, it's a girl? I go, it's a girl. You did it. And right then the doctor goes, it's a boy. And she was all drugged up and super confused. And Ashton's my little buddy. My other two boys are teenagers, so he's the only one who lets me hug him still. The other two are like hugging porcupines. He calls me Dada, and he still kisses me, and he just loves to hang out and snuggle, and he is such a leader, and he's got this crazy confidence about him, 
Go ahead and put that picture up. This is Ashton today. I mean, how do you not want to hug that kid? And he'll let you. And he's so smart and he's a leader. And I'm telling you, I love that boy so much. It literally makes my heart ache as I think like he's going to grow up and leave home someday. And, and, and there's, there's Austin. Um, Austin was a miracle. When Austin was in Jill's stomach, we were told that he had died. And so we went into another hospital room and just cried. And we cried and we cried and we cried and then they did some more tests and then a doctor said, oh, wait a second, I think we found a heartbeat. But he's in jeopardy. And, and so Jill was put on bed rest and so my wife put verses up on every single mirror, every single wall, every single door. We prayed every single day. He's gonna make it, he's gonna make it, he's gonna make it, he's gonna make it, he's gonna make it. And when he was born and born healthy, it was literally a miracle. I couldn't stop hugging him. He's so kind, you guys. His heart, his heart is like, like, like we would drive by a, uh, like a fender bender on the road and all three boys would be in the car and this describes all three boys. Ashton, my youngest one, would laugh at him. Ethan would judge him and be like, he's probably texting. <laughs> and Austin would be like, we should pray for him. That's Austin. And he's grown like a foot in the last year. He's now the largest human in our house. He just started playing football. Put that picture up. That was Austin after his first football game. He caught a 48-yard touchdown pass on his first game. Dad was proud like crazy. I was talking all kinds of smack in the stands. He's a fighter. That kid's a fighter, and I love him with all my heart. And Ethan, actually, I just, just wrote Ethan a letter, I don't know, a couple weeks ago, and I told him, I was like, you're my dream come true in this world. I grew up just wanting to be a dad. Maybe it's because I didn't have one, I don't know, but I always wanted to be a dad. And this was Ethan the first night he was born. We were watching our very first Lakers game together. He was sleeping because he knew Kobe had everything under control. He's so smart. He's so strong. He almost died a couple summers ago. He got malaria on a missions trip and the doctors couldn't diagnose it. And after five days in the ICU and all of his organs starting to shut down and he went into septic shock, cardiac arrest, like it was bad. And the doctors were telling me whether or not they'd even think he's gonna make it. And miraculously, just he pulled through. And the next summer, he said, I'm going back to Africa. I said, what? He said, Dad, I'm going back. Like, that's Ethan. He's a fighter. I just took him to visit his first college this past week. And they not only accepted him. Go ahead and put that picture up of him today. They not only accepted him but they offered him right there on the spot their chancellor's scholarship, which is the highest academic scholarship they offer at this school for his grades. And I couldn't have been prouder. And I told him when we left, I'm like, I'm so proud of you, son. You've worked so hard for so long. I couldn't be prouder of you. And I don't know what these boys are gonna do.
when they grow up. One of them's already getting ready to leave my house, and I don't like it. I don't know how successful or unsuccessful they will be. I don't know if they'll achieve every one of their dreams or if they'll fail miserably at everything they do. There won't be many weeks that'll ever go by that I won't, if somebody's at my house, I won't pull up a picture on my phone and do just what I'm doing to you right now and just brag on them. It's like, let me tell you what he's doing right now. And you better believe it. I don't care what happened. I don't care how long it's been. I don't care how bad it's gotten. If one of my boys, this is the story Jesus told. If one of my boys says, Dad, can I come home? I will run out to the driveway and I will put my arms around my son and I will say, welcome home, son. And he'll say, Dad, I'm sorry I haven't called enough. Or I'm sorry I didn't do the thing. Or I'm sorry I should have came. I don't, no, 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 none of that matters. All that matters is your mind and I love you. And so I told my counselor a lot of what I just told you. And he said, can you now flip that around? And can you understand that's how your heavenly father feels about you right now? Did you know that on your worst day, you have a heavenly father who goes, guys, come here. Come here, come here, come here. Look at my boy. Oh, there's my daughter. He just talks about how proud he is. He says, man, she, she's been through some stuff. She's a fighter, though. She hasn't given up yet, and I'm so proud of her. There, look at my son. Uh, he's struggling right now, but I believe in him. I know he's got it in him. In any moment, he's going to realize what he's got in him, that he's got more in him than he ever thought possible and that nothing he could do or she could do would ever separate them from my love. That's the father you have. And it has nothing to do with what you've done or haven't done. You have a heavenly father who says, I gave everything. I gave my son to pay the price for all your wrongs. When you come to me, all I see is perfect. When you feel shame, it's a lie. When you allow yourself to keep feeling it, it's a lie. When you allow it to come between us, it's a tragedy because it's a lie. You don't have to be ashamed. And when we start to wrap our minds around this church, listen, listen, listen. This last verse, Mark. Hebrews 4.16. Now, now that I understand how my dad feels about me, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. There's no shame in that. Could you allow yourself to be loved today? Could you allow yourself to be forgiven today? Could you allow, could you give yourself permission to take those heavy weights off your shoulders. Just breathe. Just take a breath. Just let your father love you completely unashamed. That is how we were created to live. With everybody's eyes closed at every location, let's pray. God, I thank you so much that you are speaking to us right now. You're speaking to us about our past. You're speaking to us about our present. You're speaking to some of us about what can be in our future. 
And I pray right now, God, for anyone listening to this or watching this, no matter where they're watching or listening from, who has or is currently dealing with shame. And I pray, God, that you would begin to eradicate shame from their lives just rip it right out of their souls right now in the name of Jesus. God, I pray for some freedom to happen today in the name of Jesus as we are reminded that we get to come to you just the way we are. We may have done wrong, but we are not wrong. We are made perfect in your sight because of what Jesus has done on the cross. Let us relish that, God. Let us embrace that fact. I get to go to my God with confidence and in perfect standing with Him. With everyone's eyes closed, I want to ask two questions and we're going to worship. First one is this. You need to put your faith in Jesus today and you know it. You can feel God lovingly calling you into a relationship with Him right now. You know, this is my time, this is my moment. I've let shame keep me from this for far too long. I need the Father. I need to ask him to forgive me of my sins and be the Lord of my life. I wanna put my faith in Jesus, not only because I know he'll be with me in the here and now, but because most importantly, I wanna be with him forever in heaven for all of eternity. If that's you and you know this is my moment, I need to put my faith in Jesus today. Right now, raise your hand. If you're in a building, raise your hand. Raise it high and proud. If you're online and there's a button, click that raise your hand button. We'll get you some resources. We're going to pray for you. We're going to embrace you and go on this journey with you. Thank you, Jesus, for your life-changing salvation that you offer us. And now I pray for every person that has or is dealing with shame. If that's you and you just know it, I've listened to the lies too long. I've let my past live for too long. I can't figure it out, but I just, I have a hard time believing that God loves me, that he likes me, that he's proud of me, that he wants me. If you, if you deal with, or have, or are currently dealing with shame, and you know it right now, raise your hand, and I'm gonna pray for you to be absolutely set free right now by the power of Jesus. God, I thank you so much that we do not have to live with shame, that we do not have to live with the lies of Satan anymore. I pray for freedom in Jesus' name. I rebuke shame in the name of Jesus, we take authority over this by the mighty name of Jesus, and we claim the very freedom that Jesus died to provide us with. In Jesus' name, and everybody at every location said, amen. Would you stand up with me, and let's worship and celebrate the fact that we get to come to our Father. Let's worship.